book of Obadiah on your large print sheets as well. And as we mentioned, pages 1249 and 1250. Here now, the Word of God. Which verses? Uh, all of it. All 21 verses. The entire the entire book, <clears throat> the book of Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the cliffs of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though high is the eagle, Though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Eden and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor proudly, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. 
for the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is one uh, this is the first of uh, two sermons, I should say, on this little book of Obadiah, the shortest book in the Old Testament. One chapter only, 21 verses. There are, of course, shorter books in the New Testament, such as Second uh, John and Third John. But this little book, but it's even though it's a small book, I trust that by the end of today, and certainly by the end of next week, you will agree with me that it packs a powerful punch. In this book of Obadiah, we see that the prophet proclaims the destruction of proud Edom and the ultimate exaltation of the house of Jacob. The prophet proclaims the destruction of proud Edom and the ultimate exaltation of the lifting up of the house of Jacob. Now, the first thing we want to note here, of course, is Edom. What do we mean by Edom? And by the way, children, after, uh, after uh, the uh, service today, I'm uh, sure that Miss Penny or others will be happy to show you on a map where Edom is so that you can get that in your mind in terms of the geography. Edom, by the way, uh, Edom is also called the people of Esau. And you probably remember that Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. The twin brother of Jacob. So through the line of Jacob, um, uh, of course, is where we have uh, is, is where we have our salvation, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the twin brother, Esau, as we will see, is the one who, of course, was rejected 
by God. Edom is also known as Itumea, I-D-U-M-E-A, Itumea. It includes a place called Mount Seir, S-E-I-R, which means shaggy or rugged, which means shaggy or rugged. Now, Edom was 110 miles long by 30 miles wide. 110 miles long by 30 miles wide. So, what would that be, about uh, about 3,000 square miles. Uh, a bit bigger, uh, therefore, than the state of Delaware. Delaware is about 2,000 square miles, so about 50% bigger than Delaware. 110 miles long, 30 miles wide. On the east, it was bordered by the land of Midian. To the north, you would find Moab and the southern shore of the Dead Sea. Uh, to the west was the southern portion of the Arabah, which was a valley, a deep depression in the earth through which the river Jordan flows. You may remember that the Sea of Galilee is below sea level, and as, it, as the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, it goes even further down in the earth. So these, this is below sea level, and that's what you find to the west then. To the south was the Gulf of Aqaba. Those of, uh, those of you who remember Lawrence of Arabia, he was trying to capture the city of Aqaba about a hundred years ago, right on the Red Sea. And Basra was the chief city in the north, B-O-Z-R-A-H, the chief city in the north, Basra. And the chief city in the south was Timon, that is, that is mentioned here in our text, uh, T-E-M-A-N, and that it was guarded by the fortress of Petra. Petra was, a, was an amazing fortress, seemingly unconquerable, and yet we will see that something happened to Petra, did it not? Now, there was irrigation, which provided good enough water in the dry land so that food could even be exported. And as we will see, you also had industry, interestingly, and pottery during this time, pottery sherds, that is to say like broken pottery, so the, the pieces of broken pottery, uh, archaeologists have discovered those, and those, those pottery bits indicate the wealth and the developed culture of the Edomites. So that's Edom. That's what we're dealing with then, a fairly small country, but very significant in terms of history, and particularly, as we will see this week and Lord willing next, very important in terms of what we call the history of redemption. Very important, not because salvation comes to them, but for the opposite reason. And so it's sort of held up as the two lines, if you will, the Edomites, whom God rejects, and those who are of the line of Jacob, the Israelites, whom God elects. Now, in terms of the prophet Obadiah, there is question as to when exactly he lived and wrote. It's possible that he lived around the 6th century B.C., before Christ, maybe around 587 B.C., which was the time of the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile into Babylon. 
We'll be singing at the close of the service today from Psalm 137, which actually mentions the Edomites. But a good argument can be made for an earlier date, maybe a couple hundred years before then. The good news is that we don't have to know the precise date or circumstances in order to understand the book. The message, in essence, is going to be the same. If you want to look later at Jeremiah 49, you can see a parallel passage that basically is the same message as what we have here in Obadiah. The words at the very beginning of this book say the vision of Obadiah, the vision. And so when we think of vision, we think of something that we see, and maybe this means audiovisual, perhaps, or maybe it's using scene, not in a literal sense, but more in terms of the ear, that say, you know, you, you can paint a picture by words, for example, or even the written record of the revelation. But in any case, this is definitely, definitively from Yahweh or Jehovah. Because in verse 1, we read that this vision of Obadiah is characterized by these words, thus says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God. Thus says Adonai Yahweh or Adonai Jehovah. It is definitely from the Lord. By the way, Obadiah itself means the servant of the Lord. Well, today we want to look at the sins of the Edomites and then their judgment. The sins of the Edomites and then their judgment. Now, in verses 3 and 4, the first set of sins that we see have to do with pride. Pride. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting. We've, we've mentioned the fact that Edom was a dry land, although it did have, you know, irrigation and water and so forth, but it was still a, it was a rugged kind of uh, territory, not intrinsically fertile. And also the Edomites were not that large of a people. And yet, as one commentator, Matthew Poole, has put it, mountaineers are, quote, rough, hardy, and daring. Rough, hardy, and daring. Perhaps you've known some mountaineers like that. And there is therefore this pride that comes up. Look at verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, those like hidden places in, in the rock, the, the um, places that are carved out, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? This is a boast, is it not? It is pride. Verse 4, though you ascend as high as the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. And so there is then, very clearly, this pride that drives a lot of these sins. But then we see the cruelty to God's people, verses 10 through 14. The cruelty to God's people. For violence, verse 10, for violence against your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So for violence against your brother 
Jacob. What a great crime to oppose your own brother or your own family. And let me just pause here and say that as Christians, not only should we be concerned about our literal family, brothers and sisters, but we also need to beware with regard to uh, our oppositions to one another. And so this is something we all need to watch out, out for because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there is this opposition to, indeed, violence against your brother Jacob. By the way, I think it's, it's not simply because of the family connection here, though. And Lord willing, we'll look at this more next week. It's, it's specifically because of who Jacob is, because he's the representative of the people of God the representative. And so it's not just the natural kind of connection here, but there's also a spiritual connection in terms of the history of redemption. And so against thy brother Jacob, violence, verse 11, enslavement, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them jeering, mocking, verse 12, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother and the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced of the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. Jeering, looking on their brother in order to mock him and attack him and speaking proudly, verse 12, speaking proudly against him. Verses 13 and 14, kicking them while down. Kicking them while down. Uh, Three times, by the way, it is said that this was done in the day of their calamity. As a matter of fact, I think it's about ten times through this whole section, it talks about the day. Like, verse 12, the day of your brother. In the day of his captivity. In the day of their destruction. In the day of of distress, verse 13, in the day of their calamity, in the day of their calamity, in the day of their calamity. And so it's emphasizing a particular incident or series of incidents in the day of their calamity. Now, one thing to note here that's very interesting. The Edomites were not the original oppressors or conquerors of the children of God. They merely, or we could also say they also cruelly, took advantage of the opportunity. That's what's indicated here. Verse 11, even you were as one of them. And yet they were also thereby just as guilty as the ones who first attacked. Therefore, children, be careful with whom you associate because you can be brought into sin and temptation and all kinds of horrible things. You need to be careful with whom you associate. The pride is the un, as an underlying sin 
and then the expression of that by means of cruelty to the people of God. Well, those are the sins, and now we look at the judgment. Now we look at the judgment. Now, notice, go back to verse 1. Here we have the Lord's determination. The Lord's determination. We have heard a report, or we could say we have heard a rumor from the Lord. Now, you know, we say, well, we shouldn't believe rumors, right? But the rumor here, or the report, that may be a better way of saying it, is that which was heard, that, that the message, the news, demanding to be heard. As a matter of fact, this is, we might even say, more like a declaration of war. It's, it's interesting. There is no hope for the Edomites that is set forth in this book. It is simply the judgment of God that is pronounced against them. It doesn't say repent like, the, like Jonah with regard to the Ninevites. This is simply the declaration of God. You are going to be judged. You are going to be destroyed. And this, therefore, this report from the Lord is more like a declaration of war, like, like wars and rumors of war. My friends, do you hear the rumblings of war coming from heaven? Can you hear them? Can you hear them here in Obadiah? Can you hear them in our own day against the wicked society in which we live? So this rumor from the Lord, as as against Edom, he calls to the various nations, arise against her, that is to say, against Edom in battle. How many times have we seen in history that the Lord uses the nations to, to humble other nations. Those nations become unwitting tools in the Lord's hands. They become unwitting tools in the Lord's hands. And of course, God uses, for his own purposes, uses pagan nations, sometimes to punish Israel, sometimes to punish other nations. Of course, what happens to those nations that the Lord uses? He eventually destroys them too. But in his providence, in his working all things for his, for his glory throughout history, he employs other nations. And that's what we have here. A messenger has been sent. An ambassador, the Lord is calling. Arise! And let us rise up against her for battle. And so the first thing we see in terms of the judgment is the Lord's determination. But secondly we see the certain success in this war. Verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. So, remember, Edom is not that large in population. What it occupies largely is a set of rocky and barren mountains. And so, Edom is small, and despised. You shall be greatly despised. Look at verses 3 and 4. The retribution the, against the pride, the paying back against the pride. Verse 4, I from there, I will bring you down, says the Lord. So 
even though you, you dwell, even though you ascend up high as the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there, even if you're there, from there, I will bring you down. So if setting your nest up in the heavens, God says, you, you do that, it doesn't matter. I'm going to bring you down. Verse 5, we see illustrations of this. First of all, thieves by night. These, if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, would they not have stolen till they had enough? And so if, when someone robs your house, hopefully it won't happen, but if someone were to rob your house, usually the robbers want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And they'll, just, and they'll take as much as they can, and then they will leave. That's the illustration of, of a, a thief, of a robber. But God is saying, unlike that experience that you have with a robber, no, you will be totally plundered. You'll be totally wiped out. Verse 5, oh, how you will be cut off. And then what about those who steal grapes, the grape gatherers, those who steal from vineyards? How much can they carry away? Well, they normally only take what they need what they can carry. But in Edom's case, the clusters will be picked clean. And so God is saying it's going to be so much worse than what you uh, would normally experience with a thief or one who robbed a vineyard. Notice uh, verses uh, 5 and 6. How art thou cut off? Or 6, uh, or Edom shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. It's going to be a total wipeout. And this will also in, involve betrayal by former allies, verse 7. All the men in your confederacy, your, your former, your allies, if you will, the ones that you confederated together with, are going to to turn against you. My friends, how false can former friends be? And how, how many times have we seen nations that were allied with others turn against them? Every nation, of course, looks out for itself, ultimately. And we've seen that many times throughout world history. As a matter of fact, notice what it says there. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. They're going to turn. And then it goes on to say, those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. Now, this, the, the way to interpret this perhaps better rather than to, to lay a trap for you, there may be a better way of translating it, namely, Thy bread they have laid as a festering wound under thee. That's probably a better way of referring to it. So, thy bread, and we'll see in just a minute what is meant by that, it's going to be like a festering wound. You know when you get a wound and it, and it won't heal? It becomes an irritation and, and gets infected. Okay, that's the picture that you have here. So what is meant then by this term, bread. By the way, we can use the word bread in a very literal sense, can't we? Uh, whole wheat bread, white bread, whatever. 
but we can also use it in another way, can't we? Like, you got bread man, you know, money, okay, goods, things that you need, okay, you need bread, you need physical bread, literal bread to, to survive, but of course that becomes a picture, doesn't it, of, of certain money or economic things. At Ezion Geber, there was a complex of industrial plants there in Edom which smelted, let us say heated up, melted, smelted, and refined copper. So there were copper, uh, there was a copper industry there 2,500, 3,000 years ago. Uh, copper was mined in that area. Uh, iron was also treated in these smelting plants. Uh, as one uh, commentator put it, Ezion Geber was the Pittsburgh of Palestine. You know where Pittsburgh is, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so what's the little Pittsburgh of the South? Birmingham, Alabama. There's an area here in Atlanta called Pittsburgh because that's an old industrial area. And so, again, using this figure, this is, uh, you had this industry, which it has been suggested was the bread, as it were, of the Edomites. And so what is being indicated here? Well, the very metals which Edom exported to their allies, the very metals would be used against it in war by these former allies. So they would turn those weapons that Edom supplied them with and actually end up attacking Edom. And again, this shows the, the judgment of God in this and the destruction and the devastation. How like today when short-sightedness leads a nation to giving weapons to enemies who then turn against us. You could argue that numerous United States administrations have been guilty of that. We'll see what the future holds. But thy bread they have laid as a festering wound under thee. And then look at the very end of verse 7. No one is aware of it, or we could, interpret, we could translate it, there is no understanding in him. Edom should have depended on the Lord, but instead, Edom trusts in creatures. We put it, frail, fickle, and false. Frail, fickle, and false. Frail, not having much strength. Fickle, changing their minds. They're with you one day. They're betraying you the next. And false, therefore, instead of being true uh, in their commitments. And there is no understanding in Edom. No one is aware of it. Notice verse 8, the destruction of wise men. The so-called wise men have, true no, have no true wisdom. They are foolish. I will destroy the wise men of Edom. And also, understanding from the mountains of Esau. Whatever common wisdom or knowledge they have, all of it will come to nothing. Verse 9, the destruction of the mighty men. They, the mighty men, O T-man, shall be dismayed. As a matter of fact, everyone 
will be slaughtered, will be cut off. And verse 10, total annihilation, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Well, we see the judgment not only in terms of the Lord's determination and the certain success in this war, but now notice verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16, the manifestation of vengeance. My friends, vengeance, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, therefore we don't take vengeance. Right? But God does. God does. And that's what we see here. Verses 15 and 16, there will be a payback. There will be a reward. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal, your reward shall return upon your own head. And then verse 16, this is a very uh, graphic picture for as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. In other words, they will sup it up. They will be forced by God to drink the dregs, even as we, even as we sang this evening from Psalm 75. As we sang this evening from Psalm uh, 75, where <clears throat> Psalm 75, where Asaph says, "For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out." Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. All the the dregs, all the stuff at the bottom. All the bitterness of that. Edom will drink, as will all the nations. They will do it continually, that is to say, without end. And what will be the result of it? They will be totally diverted had never been. I have three points of application, and the first is this. Beware, pride goes before fall. Beware, be warned. Pride goes before fall. And my friends, pride is self-deceiving. We all, all of us, I speak to myself here. All of us like to pat ourselves on the back. All of us like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Pride goes before a fall. Pride is a sticky trap from which escape is extremely difficult. Beware. Secondly, be careful what judgments you impose on others. Be Be careful what judgments you impose upon others. Because in point of fact, this is not what Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Be careful 
careful what judgments you impose on others. And finally, my friends, be committed to Christ. We'll look at this more, Lord willing, next week. But be committed to Christ as the one and as the only one who can deliver you from judgment. Be committed to Christ. For indeed, he is the king. And as the end of Obadiah says, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And our Father, we thank thee for this opportunity for worship. We thank thee, Lord, for this message from Obadiah, which still resonates with us today. As we are warned about pride, as we understand thy judgments in history and also at the end of history. And so, our Father, we pray that each of us here would be ready for that great final day of the Lord when Jesus comes back and that he will come back for us not as our judge but as our Savior. And so give us the grace, Lord, to look to him who is our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our friend. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.